Words matter. They can change the course of your day. Just listen. You are brave. You are stronger than you think. You have value, worth, and dignity. Don't you feel better already? Welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. Join author and board-certified life coach Janelle Reardon as she opens a very important conversation about the power of our words. Hello and welcome to Speak Healing Words, the podcast. I am Janelle and I'll be your host for the next few minutes. I am so excited you've made your way here. We have been talking about the nine practices of my newest book, Overcoming Hurtful Words, Rewrite Your Own Story. And this week we are on practice three, choosing healthy over unhealthy. My goodness, we talk about everything in life that healthy diet, healthy work-life balance, healthy this, healthy that. But I tend to see a lack in talking about the three full cord of emotional health and spiritual authenticity, healthy sense of self, healthy behavior patterns, and healthy communication skills. So that's what we do here. We want to become our very, very healthiest God-breathed self. I like to choose a word every week too, uh, a healing word. And the healing word this week is one you may be accustomed to hearing, but sometimes in the Judeo-Christian realm of life, in our Christian faith, we don't talk a lot about self-awareness. It has a bit of a negative connotation, if we're honest. Sounds a bit selfish. Oh my goodness, I can't be self-anything, right? But oh my goodness, we really are. We have a lot of self-pity, self-loathing, and self-other things. But self-awareness is critical in the healing journey, in the healing process. Because becoming self-aware truly just means you're taking a good step back from life and examining your heart, your soul, your mind. And, and here in the Speak Healing Words community, Proverbs 4.23 is our foundation. It's our prophetic footing. Above all else, guard your affections, for they will influence everything in your life. So being self-aware really just means, above all else, guard your heart. Take some time out every now and then to consider the condition, the state of the most important aspect of life. And that is what's going on inside of your heart, your affections. So I found this beautiful book and it's by one of my favorite spiritual directors, Robert J. Wicks. He's a beautiful author. And in his book, Availability, He writes this on self-awareness, and he quotes Thoreau, which is, this is one of my favorite uh, quotes that has to do with our hearts and healing. It is as hard to see oneself as to look backwards without turning around. (laughs) A friend of mine this week shared a story that someone had shared with her. That, you know, we can't see our own faces. We see a reflection. 
but we can't see our own face. We need others, other relationships to help us see ourselves. Because as we've talked so many times here, selfhood, you know, no healing can happen in our selfhood outside of community. We need each other. Our brains need other brains to help us figure life out. So self-awareness, in Robert Wick's words, means to softly look at ourselves. doesn't mean glossing over our difficulties or faults. It means viewing ourselves through Christ's compassionate eyes so that we gain the vision to go and sin no more, which is what Jesus told the man at the pool of Bethesda in John 8. He came and he told him after he told the man to rise up and walk. And we talk about this in our earlier episodes. And he comes back to him and he says, now you're healed. You're whole. Go and sin no more. Just meaning that he had given that man Everything he needed when he healed him, he gave him an enlarged capacity of resilience and fortitude and strength and courage and truth and love and knowledge. God gave that man in his healing everything he needed to now go and live an abundant life and to follow him well. So those aren't Those aren't negative words, and sometimes they're perceived that way. But to go and sin no more is really just Jesus telling us, I've given you everything you need to lead an abundant life filled with absolutely every virtue you're going to need to follow me. So power, true power, comes from such true self-awareness. For in really seeing ourselves, we see the almost unbelievable. We are actually witnesses to God's activity embraced within our own thoughts, feelings, and actions. Wicks writes, the primary end of this self-awareness, this vision, is not personal peace or security. Instead, it is a search designed to foster the self-love, the Christian power, and the courage that is essential to Christian life. Please hear me here. I have in my book written, wow, that really, really got to me. He continues, self-awareness and self-love go hand in hand. Kenneth Leach stated in his book, True Prayer, You do not want to know someone whom you despise, even if, especially if, that someone is you. One feeds the other and forms a positive circle. Self-esteem is really Christian self-awareness. The more we seek Christ in ourselves, the more we are apt to see him in others And the more we are able to see the subtle dangers of sin, temptation, blocking the spirit. So self-awareness is also a prelude and a companion to Christian power. 
And this power is based on love and steeped in the spiritual renewal that comes from a continual self-examination. This spiritual revelation involves a balance between thought and action. To think and not act can lead to obsessive rumination. Here is the key here. Here is where it is misunderstood. So self-awareness is not narcissism. It is not selfish. Self-awareness in light of Christ and his teaching is just knowing whose we are and who we are which is what we talk about in practice three. To act without thinking may result in blind impulsiveness. Self-awareness helps develop balance. It is a difficult activity designed to aid us on our journey home to find Christ in ourselves and in turn in our community. So in practice three, much of the intention of practice three is to really come home, to come home to your God-breathed self. And in episode 10, at the end, I encouraged you to go to JanelleReardon.com, resources, to the Heartlift Method, and go into phase one and find the meditative exercise, Genesis 2, beginning. And I encouraged you to put some headphones on and to take a good amount of time throughout last week to listen to this meditative exercise over and over again. I hope that you did that. If you didn't, I would just take pause right now. Just hit pause. Go back and listen to episode 10, Welcome God Into Your Wise, and then take a few moments to breathe in that meditative exercise from Genesis 2-7 which invites you back to that moment of conception when God breathed his life and breath and virtue and purpose and passion into you and you became a living being. Right there in your mother's in in your mother's tummy as I would have said to my children. You became a living being filled with the breath of God. That is your true self. That is your essence. I call it your God-breathed self. Because once we enter into this world, depending on our home, our family of origins, our caregivers, that true self can transform nature versus nurture, right? The old, the old question. We adapt, we get, we gain coping skills and defense mechanisms. I shared my story, you know my story. So at some point in our life, we, we get beckoned back. We, we come back and we want to know who the heck am I? Who am I really? And in practice three, I walk you through the Genesis 2-7 beginning meditation. So hopefully, you, like I said, you've done that. So you're, you're well acquainted. Because when we understand 
and dwell in that Genesis 2-7 beginning, we then can make a heart shift and we can let our past now fortify our future. God knew when, where, how, and why you were placed where you were placed when you were born. I ride in practice three. He placed me in California in 1959. I just celebrated my 59th birthday, born in 1959. So I think that's kind of cool. In a home where an alcoholic, oh, I'm sorry, alcoholic father lived. I struggled with that. I, I sh- I've shared that enough. I don't need to keep going on with it. For years, I desperately wanted a different story. But you see, God helped me embrace that story, my story. And he placed you, yes, you, in your specific city, in your specific year, in your specific family. Each of us are destined to live, move, and have our being in every circumstance, as Paul wrote in Acts 17, 28, because we have a God-sized deep breath that enables, equips, and empowers us to live the life, the station, the position, the place where he put us. Why is acknowledging his plan for our beginning so critical? Because, oh, hear me, please. Because the day we acknowledge, understand, and surrender To the truth of our beginning, it's the day we begin to truly live. Any trace of a victim mentality melts away. I think I need to say that again for someone. Any trace of a victim mentality. Well, I had this kind of father, or I was in this home, or I didn't have a family, or this, or that, or the other. Albeit that was difficult, and I'm not lightening the difficulty. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. Oh, I'm saying it matters so much that I want to help you let your past now fortify your future. I want to help you move from a victim mentality, help that melt away so that you can begin walking as a victorious person whose past now fortifies her future. I love the way Catherine, uh, St. Catherine of Siena really affirms the journey of self-awareness into self-knowledge. As a very young seeker, she discovered, just as you can better see the blemish on your face when you look at yourself in the mirror, so the soul who in true self-knowledge rises up with desire to look at herself in the gentle mirror of God. With the eye of understanding, she sees all the more clearly her own defects because of the purity she sees in God. The purity of the glimpses she is getting in her moments of deep awareness is like a light that is helping her see her own imperfections, things in herself she wants to change in the gentle mirror of God. She sees her own dignity. Ah, this is so good. I hope that you are hearing between the lines what the, the words of practice three are saying, the words of this great woman of God 
Self-knowledge asks us to look at our past with gentle eyes and empathic hearts. Every step of our journey leads us to greater awareness and an even greater desire to grow closer to God. The lasting pain of hurtful words or negative narratives of family origins or difficult, difficult places you may be living in right now even, these can become an inviting threshold into a new understanding of our own purpose, passion, and presence here on earth. Self-care actually, oh, please hear me. Self-care asks us to welcome another to walk beside us here on earth. Someone to help us take the first step over the threshold into our new narrative. We, we can't do this alone. I know you, you tire of hearing me say that we are better together, that, you know, selfhood cannot help an outside. It can't help. Oh my goodness. It can't happen outside of community. We need each other. We have to have one another's presence in order to become our true self. Spiritual director Dr. Alexander John Shea reminds us, and he writes that we can't travel alone. We will absolutely require at least one human being to steady us. And more are highly recommended. The presence of wise counselors in our life cannot be underestimated and others who are on the same path that we are or who have traveled it ahead of us are invaluable. Self-isolate and go it alone attitudes come from our fearful self, resisting being known and changed. And it is important for us to resist that self-isolation. No selfhood outside of community or of relationship. So accepting that Genesis 2, 7 beginning, uh, that meditative exercise I asked you to be listening to, accepting that means accepting our God-created identity. Once we know the source of our identity, that we're members of a bigger family, God's family, we will know who we are and we'll be able to fulfill our God-given capacity in every one of our spheres of influence. Until then, we give way too much room for those unhealthy behaviors to control us. They hold us back and eventually hold back all our relationships by creating fear, fractures, and falsehood. So self-awareness is just that capacity to look inward, to look at our God-created selves, our identity. Identity, it just simply means a set of characteristics by which a person or thing is definitively recognizable or known. It might be your personality. It's your distinctiveness. It's your character. It's what makes you, you. It makes you, you. It's so important to know and to understand this key, solid identification with our God-created identity. In counseling, in the counseling world, the strong, solid identification is known as, oh, excuse me, 
is known as secure attachment. And I talk more about this in practice three. And secure attachment clarifies that while our identities may be expressed, enhanced, and empowered by marriage partners, children, peers, culture, relationships, prosperity, politics, ambition, success, athletics, body image, service, and ministry, they will no longer be defined by them. All right, hear this clearly. Our identity, and as a follower of Christ, I say my identity in Christ is no longer attached to anything external. It is not fueled by my my status. Am I single or am I married? It's not fueled by whether I'm in the corporate world or I'm a a stay-at-home mom. My identity is not fueled by um, being a best-selling author. Oh, that's close to home. It's not fueled by how many books I have on a shelf that I've written myself or how many TV shows I've been on or et cetera, et cetera. You fill in your blank. If your security, your secure attachment is in Christ and being a member of God's family, then I am no longer looking to define myself by anything other than the fact that I belong to God, that I am a creature created in his image. I am, I have value, I have worth, I have dignity for that one reason and that one reason alone. I no longer look, boy, it took me a while to get here, but I am here. I no longer look to anything else to define me other than that truth, the truth that I belong to God, I'm a member of his family, I have security in Christ, He created me. He breathed his life into me. And because of that, I have value, worth, and dignity. Period. Nothing else defines me. Once that voice is hushed, the value once diminished, the victory once impeded, oh my goodness, then everything changes. Everything changes. I have this solid identification with Christ. So now I can function at my highest potential. I'm no longer ruled by unhealthy uh, behaviors or drives. I'm not driven by buried emotional pain. I'm not trying to get someone to applaud for me because I've done something well. Instead now, I'm shaped by the passion to maintain healthy relationships in every sphere of my influence. You see, when we experience that kind of security, when we're that confident in our identity, the world is just a safer, more secure, more wonderful place to be. So if you are following along in the book, I'm going to be on page 61. I'm going to close this out in the heart care section of choosing healthy over unhealthy. Every day of my life now is framed through that one sentence. Janelle, choose healthy over unhealthy. Now, is that a healthy way to think about that? No, 
So choose healthy, Janelle. Reframe that thought. Reframe it. Without even being aware of it, I am on I am on page 61. Without even being aware of it, we often look for external pursuits or people to fill our deep emotional need for understanding and value. Instead of finding these critical identity-forming qualities, myself, I'm speaking personally here, I instead of finding that in my earthly father's attention influence, I ended up trying to find it in the competitive world of dance and beauty pageants. So without even realizing it, the stage for me became a foster parent of sorts. I felt so at home on stage under the bright lights that my identity formed under the influence of the three A's, affirmation, approval, and the addictive applause of others. So without even knowing it as a young girl, and then all through my formative years, my false sense of identity formed on stage. I share a story that I, I think is really telling. It was in the fourth grade. I was in a talent show. As I twirled my silver baton, and uh, successfully, I might add, I saw my peers smiling and improving my skills. And boy, they just clapped after I finished. And everybody was saying how good I was. And how did you do that, they asked. You're so good. Well, prior to that performance in fourth grade, I was just a new, tall, lanky, red-haired, pretty ugly little girl from North Carolina. But after that performance, uh, you know, I was applauded and I was one of them. Well, over time, as I shared last time, a web of human opinion entangled my soul, weaving an intricate pattern of pleasing others. So my life became this unhealthy pattern of pleasing others, which led me further and further and further and further away from my true God-created identity. Thankfully, thankfully, God intervened, and uh, I can now say that through a series of very beautiful relationships and community and situations, which you can read about in the book, I came home to my true self, my essence. It took a lot of self-awareness. It took a lot of self-examination. And one of the ways that I did that was using these guiding questions, which I offer in practice three. Why do I think the way I think? Hmm. I had to take some time to think about that question And for me, my emotionally absent alcoholic father had left a gaping hole in my little girl heart. The applause, the affirmation I experienced after my first public performance on stage served as a substitute for his applause and affirmation. So I developed misshaped cognition, which is what we say in counseling, the thought processes in my mind, and faulty thinking. I looked to others to tell me I was good and valuable and I had worth. And so that took root in my life. So as I self-examined and became self-aware, I just started looking throughout my days. Why do I think the way I think? Why do I let people treat me that way? Why do I do that? And that was my first step to just start thinking about it and looking at it from the outside in and talking to those people in my life that I trust deeply to say, do you know, when I do that, why do you think I do it? I had to be open. I had to be humble. I had to be vulnerable. And we have to be, we have to be, 
malleable. We have to be willing to hear truth. Second guiding question was, why do I hear the way I hear? Because I lacked the nurturing bond of an emotional connection with my father. And even now, I know that uh, my mother, there were things there. I've spent a lot of time with my mother over these past few years. And I can see that, oh, now I see that brought some misshaped cognition and faulty thinking in my life as well. And then there were other things, coaches and life and just other life, 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 life just causes us to hear the way we hear. I looked to others to tell me who I was. I craved their applause. Their, uh, that was a soul heart emptiness that hungered for attention at any, any cost. Act this way, dress this way, live this way. So I had to take that apart and go, why did I allow that? Hmm. And then on a deeper level, why do people treat me the way they do? And why do I treat people the way I treat them? So sadly, my family of origin had very unhealthy communication patterns. And childhood is the cement <laughs> that is laid. And that's where we're supposed to learn healthy communication skills like emotional regulation, conflict resolution, anger management, mood stabilization, secure attachment, healthy thinking patterns, and so much more. But I missed out on most of that. But thankfully, since then, God has sent me great men and women into my life who have guided me and mentored me to health. And he's doing the same for you right here on Speak Healing Words. I am committed to helping you with those guiding questions, committed to helping you move through the three phases of our HeartLift Method, the Reflect, Reframe, and Reauthor, so that we can take your history of hurts and fortify your future with your past. We're making meaning of it here. We're making peace with it so that you, oh, my dear friend, can move into all that God has for you, that God-breathed capacity, potential, and purpose. I hope today has been helpful and we will continue our conversation as we move forward in our nine practices. Join me on Janelle Reardon Book Club tomorrow at noon and uh, learn a little bit more about this whole entire Heartlift process and how it can benefit you and how it can move you into freedom. As for today, that's enough. That was a lot. So uh, email me with any questions, message me on Facebook or Instagram. Have a blessed day. Thanks for listening today. It was great having you here. For even more great content and conversation, please join the Speak Healing Words community at JanelleReardon.com.